0: on this episode of the podcast i tell the guys one of the best revenge stories in baseball history vengeance vindication wait who who is it who is it oh you're gonna find out i'm so excited a lot of vengeance a lot of vindication it's all up next recline that sofa and loosen that tie because this is mismanaged yeehaw Welcome to Mismanaged, a weekly podcast where we kick back and criticize the failings of paid sports professionals while also offering them foolproof solutions to all their management woes. I'm Austin Egan. I'm Josh Sweezy.
1: And I'm Nathaniel Westover.
0: Let's get into it. This week, we are discussing some MLB history. Warning to any and all Cincinnati Reds fans, you may want to cover your ears or just keep complaining about the Pirates pitching tactics. That's a freebie, Westover. (laughs) All right, go ahead
1: the Reds so much.
0: Yeah, you want to give us a little insight into that? Because I barely know what you were talking about yeah, the other day. I have a no cou-
1: idea. A couple years ago. Uh, a
0: couple years ago? <laughs> yeah. Two.
1: Still yeah, wearing. that's... Well, the <laughs> half season last year really didn't matter. Every year... <laughs> it didn't give us time to be
0: mad. That's true.
1: Actually, I still think they still had two bench-clearing brawls. A minimum yeah. of, like, it's an average of two bench-clearing brawls between the Pirates and Reds every year. Okay. Uh... Dusty Baker was complaining that the Pirates were pitching inside on them. Um. And that, that was Neil Huntington's, like, pitching philosophy. That's his bit. For years. Cool. It was inside and low. hmm And then he threw, like, a couple inches. He had one of his pitchers just throw a couple inches behind several guys' heads. Uh, hit McCutcheon.
0: Cool. Fun. And,
1: no. I don't like the Reds. Mm. Their stadium's pretty, but, uh... Why are we
0: talk about their the stadium. Thing? Not oh, the yeah. one that, you know, they have now.
1: Yeah.
0: Also, Dusty Baker. Great baseball name. Really good. Great baseball name. All right, take us there. All right, fellas. Let me take you back to the good old 1950s.
2: Love it revisiting it we're in the 1950s last week too yeah
0: a lot of bad decisions made in this period of time
2: not a great (laughs) look turns out nobody knew what they were doing
0: a lot was going on people were still recovering from world war ii this was barely a profession at that point true a lot of people were just like just a game drywallers (laughs) and painters (laughs) they had drywall back then i'm not sure but i'm taking you to 1953 Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower was president. A gallon of gas cost 29 cents. That'd be nice. So
2: expensive.
0: Yeah. For inflation, it's like (laughs) two and... It's a low two. That'd be nice. So it's still way better, but... (laughs) Uh, There were only 16 teams in the MLB, and the Reds had a losing season for the ninth year in a row. Nice. Sucks to suck. Ooh, tough breaks. Here is where our story begins, when a scout for the Reds, Bobby Maddock, stumbled upon the star of our story, Frank Robinson. Cool. Now, a quick bit of history on the weird affairs of the MLB at this time. The MLB draft, which just wrapped up on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. uh, as we generally know it, uh, wasn't instituted until 1965. Tom Seaver. Before that amateur players were free to sign with whatever team offered them a contract. So, <laughs> the well, scouts... Pays. Yeah. So, you could just draft as many players as you want. Well, you didn't draft, you just sign. Yeah. You, you just buy you them. Just, like, you, just, you find them and you buy them. Okay. Um, so, the scouts for smaller franchises, uh-huh. like Cincinnati, in comparison to, you know, New York and Chicago, <laughs> uh, they need to be on top of their games or risk losing out to the deeper pockets of teams sure. from New York yeah. and Chicago. Because yeah. yeah. if they both saw the same guy made an offer... They could not afford to match. They bid
1: them constantly. They gotta find him first.
0: Fortunately for the Reds, Maddock noticed Robinson all the way in West Oakland, California. Whoop whoop. Shout out, Josh! Hooray! Robinson was a multi-sport athlete growing up, playing baseball, football, and basketball. He was actually high school teammates with Bill Russell. Nice!
2: Look at that! Awesome!
0: Yeah, pretty. Both, both Bay Area boys. Pretty phenomenal. In f- 1949, at the age of 14, Robinson met local coaching legend George Powells and was offered to join his American Legion team. Amazing. Okay. Yep, um, the American Legion the American We all know Legion. what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Despite his young age, uh, he contributed to the team's 1950 local championship with a clutch triple. Nice. Immediately after graduating high school in 1953, Robinson signed a $3,500 contract with the Reds. Ah, oh,
2: good for him. Right
1: out of, right got, out of high got school. Got spotted,
0: and got signed
1: yeah. immediately. Yeah.
0: Which, I'm good sure for that him. was good money back then, too. Oh, yeah, no, that's great money. Right out of high school, being great. like, hey, you want to keep playing baseball? Baseball? The and
1: sport that you love.
0: Robinson began his pro career in the Class C Pioneer League with the Ogden Reds of Utah. (laughs) Gross. Utah. Real gross uh even super gross because i was re- when i was doing my research into all of this you did uh, research yeah oh okay cool. just a little bit most i just make me. up my stories same <laughs> i mean no i researched. uh-huh uh no but robinson was time out some of the stories from his days at with the ogden reds he's like yeah it was really <laughs> tough because utah in the 1950s in the 1950s huh? uh uh Basically run by Mormons. Tell me about it. And in the 50s, the Mormons were just outright, like, <laughs> yeah, African Americans are lesser. Yep, yep. By our religion, that's what we believe. Yep. Um, so, he was weird. <laughs> Utah still has issues to this day. Salt Lake, anytime people play in Salt Lake City, yeah. they... Uh, yeah. it, it's not great. I actually was curious... And I looked up the team photo uh-huh. from the 1953 Ogden Reds season. Found it. Yeah, he was one of two African-American cool. players. I bet they had a good time in Utah. But yeah, uh, during his time in Utah, he played one season with a 348 batting average and 17 home runs. Oh my gosh. Before he was called up to double A with the Tulsa Oilers. <laughs>
1: Oklahoma, He's
0: going all over the middle of this great country for Fine. Cincinnati <laughs> on his way to Cincinnati, the long route. So from Oakland to Cincinnati, you had to have to hit, you know, Ogden, Utah, you had Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a third step. We'll get there. Uh oh, Cuba, but Whoa. yep, it <laughs> goes to Cuba. Uh, so he, while he was in Tulsa, he had a two sixty-seven batting average over eight games, uh, but was soon demoted to the single A <laughs> Columbia Reds. Okay. He spent the rest of that season uh, hindered by a shoulder injury, the fo- um, um, and the following season in Columbia, South Carolina, totaling a 3.61 batting average and 37 home runs. Over that time, still
1: not bad while yeah. nursing an injury. Yeah. So
0: was double A just like too much? Like was it too much to go from the low
2: A's all the way to double A, and that's why they brought him back, or did he get injured in double A? Um, he got injured during
0: his like the beginning of his second season with okay. Columbia. So okay. he got he got demoted because of play. Okay. Um, but he was still performing well. Yeah, because he had was batting two sixty seven two
1: sixty seven over games eight games. Not bad.
0: No, that's good. It's But it was probably there were other guys that they wanted to move around. I mean, it was so far back that the details of exactly why (laughs) don't matter and also aren't really readily available. Yeah, nobody asks these probing questions like we do. (laughs) Damn straight. (laughs) Uh, But then... In 1956, a 20-year-old Robinson made it to the big show <gasps> with the Cincinnati Red Legs. Wait. What a gross They game. were the Red Legs between 54 and 58. Inexplicable. Reds okay. before, Reds after. Uh-huh. And then there was just this, this period of time. Weird when window. Where Wait, we're the Red Legs. Really wanted to show off their calves. Hmm. Yes. Leading up to the 56th season, mm. the Reds had extended their streak to 11 consecutive losing seasons. Moving on oof. up. Woof woof. I almost put this in terms of uh I, when I first started writing this, I was putting this in terms of like playoff drought. And uh-huh. then I had to remind myself, no, everyone missed the playoffs except the top two teams. Uh the top team from each league. So only oh, okay. at this point in time the whole postseason <laughs> was postseason just was, the worst. Was was yeah. Okay. Um so, so that's not much.
2: that embarrassing. No,
0: not at all. Uh however, Robinson skyrocketed the team to a record of 91 and 63 and a third place finish in the National League. Hey, Robinson went off with a 290 batting average and a team high 38 home runs. Tweet. Nice. Tying for to be third in the entire league for home runs that season. As this was his first season called up. Yep. Yep. Nice. And he's twenty years old. Love to see it. Uh Robinson's performance was enough to earn him a trip to the All Star Game and the Rookie of the Year award. Congratulations. Nice. Uh unfortunately, once again, as I was saying about the postseason, which was just the World Series yep. at this time. Mm-hmm. So even with ninety one wins, uh they weren't in postseason play.
2: They at least had a winning season. Yeah. They which, at least, yeah broke
0: that streak. In like 90 a 90 and above is real good where you oh, want yeah. to be. Oh yeah. Uh Robinson would continue to improve, steadily increasing both his batting average and home run totals until eventually winning the National League MVP behind a 323 batting average and 37 home runs. Whew. Uh, in, this was in 1961. Beautiful year. So just a few years in like his fifth year in the yeah. league. Yeah. Yep. Uh, his efforts were enough to propel the Reds to 93 and 61 at a first place finish in the National League. Hooray! Hey, good job, guys. I'm so proud of you. Punching their ticket to the World Series (laughs) against the New York Yankees. Uh, Oh, uh, so we know where this is going. Uh The Yankees the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the Yankees were gods at this point in time. Uh, Just listen to this. They, uh, so in 61, Uh leading up to that World Series, they had played in 25 of the last 40 World Series. That's 62.5%. That's That's a pretty good percentage. So many. They won 18 of those 25. Uh Uh-huh. So, 72%. Cool. And they... So, basically, they won 45% of the last 40 World Series.
1: Yeah, they have a lot. Yeah. yeah. At this yeah, point in time, it was most. like
0: uh, their stars were Mickey Mantle and yeah. Yogi Berra. So, yeah, it makes I mean, sense. Th-
2: but they should give somebody else a chance every once in a while. No.
0: It's the Reds' turn. It's the Come Yankees' on. way. Oh. Um... But, yeah, the Reds would eventually lose the series in five games. They got one, though. They got one. They got one. At least it was in a sweep. Yeah, Mm. that's all. That's all you want to avoid in that situation, honestly. (laughs) Robinson would continue to play stellar baseball, improving on all of the stats in 1962. But he missed out on winning the MVP. Really? Uh yeah. <laughs> the Reds as a team would improve upon their nineteen sixty one season and earn a record of ninety eight and sixty four. But this was somehow only good enough for third place in wow. the national league. What in the world? Yeah, baseball's nonsense. Like I was looking at it. There's this whole stretch of time, basically the whole first half of Frank Robinson not half, but just first portion portion of his career, it's all Yankees versus Dodgers. Yeah. Like every year. It's like Yankees and Dodgers. It's That's insane. really fun
2: for the fans to watch. Yeah. They well, I really love that.
0: If you're in New York.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The only place that matters. Boo, hiss, no one agrees with that statement. <laughs> Over the next three seasons, both Robinson and the Reds would continue their stellar play, winning 86, 92, and 89 games respectively. So now they've got a streak going the other direction. Yeah, no, they're playing they're real well. Out. But they were never able to secure another World Series berth.
1: Unfortunate. I mean, it was really hard back then. Yeah, yeah. no, it's
0: too hard. <laughs> Win
1: or well, you're not in.
0: This brings us to the 1965 offseason and the subject of our episode. <gasps> cool. The hitch in the Reds' approach was that they often led the National League in offensive statistics, but were burdened by terrible defensive play. <laughs> ah.
2: uh,
0: to give this context, in 1965, they put up the most runs in the National League with 825, but they gave up the fourth most runs with 704, a flaw that many Cincinnati fans pinned on the 30-year-old Robinson. That what? seems fair. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait a minute. He's giving up all these runs out there, right? You know, yeah. he's pitching, and he's, pitching. he's You know, he's out there. He's in the outfield, so clearly <laughs> it's it's his fault. He has his to fault.
1: jump and catch those home runs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> clearly, I start blaming the outfielders for uh-huh. the defense. Then, then I work it to, in, in. Yeah. Yeah. and then in. I end on the pitcher as the last resort. <laughs> yeah, I end on the catcher. <laughs> it's really <laughs> all up to him. Robinson had been consistent at the plate with only slight dips from his peak in the early 60s, but had begun to slow in the outfield. Because he's thirty, but he's still not slow. Yeah, he's still like, at no point in time was he slow. No, and there's not a lot of context into why they particularly zoned in on Robinson. Uh, But he was drawing the ire of fans who would often boo at the superstar during games. Cool, cool, fun people. His manager had to come out in like a press conference and basically tell his fans like, stop booing Frank Robinson. Shut
1: up. Leave him alone. (laughs) Leave Frank alone.
2: He's doing his best out there. (laughs)
0: Uh, A lack of quality pitching was more likely to blame for the Reds' woes. But You don't say. (laughs) But still, Robinson was used as the scapegoat. Uh, The situation was made worse by the already tense relationship between Robinson and Reds' owner, Bill DeWitt. DeWitt and Robinson had been uncomfortable with one another since 1961, when Robinson was arrested for possessing a firearm without a permit during spring training in Florida. Instead of posting bail for the eventual MVP, DeWitt decided to let Robinson spend the night in jail. Which Robinson took personally? Yeah, I mean, as he should. <laughs> yeah, uh, 1961 was also Dwight's first year as the owner of the Reds, cool. so that incident oh. really set the tone for his relationship yeah. with the franchise. A good
1: first impression.
0: This is where I want to draw the line, right here. Yeah, no, and it's wild how he ended up becoming the owner, because uh-huh. like the owner, the first owner sold. Yeah, and like the guy that bought it. Then had, like, a heart attack. (laughs) And then, like, basically DeWitt, like, half inherited, half bought. Like, this one I didn't spend a lot of research, so I might have the facts fuzzy. But there was a lot of weird kind of, like, It's like the guy who got
1: to be, like, the half-owner of the Mets. The GM. Yeah. receiver thing. Basically. Because he was like, I know these people. And he was, like, a partial (laughs) owner of the Giants. And when the Giants dipped to San Francisco, he's like, but I wanted to stay here.
0: Throughout the years, Robinson and DeWitt would also butt heads in salary negotiations. Mm -hmm. Robinson's initial salary with the team was $6,000, but after his MVP season in 61, he received a raise to $60,000. Just throw another zero on there. Nice. Uh, This was confusing, because one source I saw said that it was a record at the time, but then I looked up... league salary leaders for each year and mickey Mantle was making like eighty one thousand that year so yes, i don't know where amazing. yeah i don't know i don't Could have been
1: a record for like pay increase like percentage and <laughs> pay
0: yeah i'm not sure exactly what record they were referring to but i guarantee you the yankees are always paying their players the most <laughs> yeah, <cost exactly>. <laughs> uh, as good as this was it was still less than other players of robinson's caliber uh like i said mickey mantle and willie mays as another example Uh, and would soon be comparatively worse throughout the years. Robinson insisted annually on being paid as one of the best players in the game, but DeWitt was focused on spending the team's finances every year on a new project to renovate the then-already 50-year-old Crossley Field. Cool. An issue that was consistently forced upon DeWitt by fans and the media. (laughs) Hey, this stadium is old and crappy. It was garbage. Damn
2: it. Your stadium's bad. Like,
0: there. (laughs) So many thi- he spent so much money on like renovation, he spent like $500,000, might not 500000 might have been like $50,000 to hire like hundreds of people and like buckets of paint to like paint the entire stadium like the week before opening day. Cool. To just be like, yeah, this fresh. is how we'll do it.
1: Slap a fresh coat of paint <laughs> on it,
2: call it a day. I mean, he had the players doing all the drywall, so <laughs> <laughs> that's why it was taking
0: so long. Moonlighting. <laughs> The frustration of the fans and tensions between the star and himself led DeWitt to trade Robinson in 1965 to the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for starting pitcher Milt Pappas, reliever Jack Balshan, and outfield prospect Dick Simpson. The latter two never actually appeared for the Orioles, so the Orioles basically were like, well, these guys are <laughs> technically ours. <laughs> ah, here you, you go. Them?
1: <laughs> Here's the, I guess, draft rights, team rights to these two dudes.
0: <laughs> um... Well, Bolson was in the league. He just had never appeared for the Orioles. I don't know. I think he started somewhere else, but uh. he had, like, never played. He was a 29-year-old relief pitcher, mm. and then uh, Dick Simpson was a, still a prospect. The trade shocked many around the league. When asked about his reasons for the deal, DeWitt explained that he was a Branch Ricky schooled baseball man, and therefore believed in trading players a year early rather than a year late. Oh, yeah. It's a,
2: a bad philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: He uh, went on to say that part of his style was to remain young and cheap, describing Robinson as, quote, an old 30. (laughs) He's been in the lead for 10 years now. Uh, In response to the trade, Robinson stated, quote, My mind went blank when the trade was announced. But when I thought about it, I changed my thinking. I did not feel I had anything to prove. Yet I wanted to prove to Bill DeWitt that I was not done at age 30. (laughs) Nice. His thinking was... Thank God I can leave Cincinnati. Thank God. And go to Baltimore? Upgrade. Ah, Westover's two favorite franchises. Hooray. Somehow he'll circle back to the Steelers. Don't worry. (laughs) We'll get there. Following these comments, the entire baseball world had their eyes glued on the Reds and the Orioles to see who would win the epic divorce. Because obviously when (laughs) your owner's like, yeah, no, he's old and washed up. And the player's like... I'm going to show him specifically (laughs) I'm not. This one's for you, Bill. (laughs) You really want to see what's going on. Uh, In his first season with the Orioles, Robinson tallied 49 home runs, 122 runs, 122 RBIs, and a 316 batting average. Numbers good enough to earn him the American League's first triple crown since Mickey Mantle in 56, and the MVP for the American League. But how is his defense? I'm sure it was fine, <laughs> because he led the Orioles to a 97-63 record, secured the American League, and would sweep the Dodgers to win Baltimore's first World Series, Amazing. Where, where he also won World Series so MVP. MVP. So yeah, nice. so he won every award, and...
1: He's like, I'm going to take all of these. I Thank forget the you. name of it. He
0: also won this award that was um, basically, like, Athlete of the Year. Uh-huh. It was like a belt. Uh-huh. Um, it was like... This diamond. wrestling champion belt. <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think it's the actual belt. It's like really nice leather and like diamond. Ooh, like yes. I forget the name of it, but it's uh, basically Athlete of the Year Award. He won that. Dope. Yeah,
2: he actually went out and bought like a display case as soon as he, as he <laughs> arrived in Baltimore. And he's like, this is, this. I'm going to fill this. this I'm going to fill this up real quick. <laughs> and he did. He just
1: walked in. And he's like, the under it just says, not bad for an old 30. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Seriously.
0: He walks into Baltimore. He's like, you guys haven't won a championship, huh? Cool. <laughs> you ever wanted to? You wanna? Oh, boy. The Reds were not so fortunate. What? Pappas struggled his way to a 12-11 and 11 record, a dismal ERA of 4.29, and wow. gave up 224 hits in only 209 and two-thirds innings. So he gave up more hits than he pitched innings. Yeah, that's not... Yeah,
1: that's more hits great. than outs right there. Buddy. Yeah,
0: that's insane. Baalshin was even worse, offering up a 5.49 ERA in 57 innings as a reliever.
2: No. (laughs) Oh no, that's your one job.
0: (laughs) And what do you know, Simpson was also disappointing. Infrequently making appearances and underwhelming when he did. In their first season without Robinson, Cincinnati fell to a sub-500 record for the first time in half a decade. Since they had called Robinson up. No, they had... Um, they had a down year. They had a couple... <laughs> in his early years, they had a couple sub 500. Mm-hmm. He was still growing. Because he, when he got called up, he was 20. True. You know, true. So Um so... But yeah, so they had a sub-500 record and were 7th in the National League. Pretty nice. Yeah, it's the great. <laughs> the 1966 season was also hard for DeWitt specifically. The city had finally offered funds to build a stadium... But they would get to make the decision as to where it was going to be built. Mm -hmm. Uh, DeWitt said he would prefer a suburban location so that they could expand and have more Mm -hmm. parking next to highways, really Mm -hmm. accessible. Because he always loved the sayings like, 50% of our fans come from 50 miles away or more.
2: Weird. Oh, Cincinnati.
0: Yeah. It's like, that's kind of fair. But at the same time, I don't know. He was focused more on getting all the fans in than, like, the Cincinnati, whatever. But since Cincinnati the the City is fans, like, yeah. we're going to be paying mm-hmm. for this stadium, we want it to be where in the we want it to be. be, in the sky. Floating thing. That would be amazing. <laughs> Such so a risk. So inaccessible, though. Uh, DeWitt said he would prefer a suburban location, like I said, but that he would take the team anywhere. Uh, the location would only affect the length of the lease he was willing to sign. But he's like, my team will go there. However, when the city announced its intentions to build the stadium on the riverfront, a decision uh, that decision led to to musing about the possibility of building a private stadium.
1: Riverfront stadiums are beautiful, yeah yeah, Amazing. no
0: they're gorgeous. He was worried about flooding <laughs> <He's an laughs>
1: idiot. but the river might catch on fire.
2: they've been
0: doing that over in Cleveland.
2: <laughs> maybe it's an Ohio thing. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so, this caused people to lose their minds, because the city was basically like, yeah, we're going to spend these public funds, and we're already starting the process of building the stadium, and then he's like, hmm, private stadium might be the way to go. I might just do it myself. So basically, like, everyone was getting mad at him, because without the lease of the Reds, the city would be out of millions of dollars. Yes. So naturally, fans and politicians like turned on DeWitt. Mm -hmm. DeWitt's franchise began to fall apart. With every one of the Reds' failures, Frank Robinson seemed to do something spectacular just to make it worse for DeWitt. (laughs) Just to spite him. Steadily, the Reds' attendance declined and calls for DeWitt's head increased. Also, Cincinnati's newspaper was constantly reporting on what Frank Robinson was doing. Yeah, So it was like, he couldn't escape. And also the term, like... DeWitt's words of, he's an old 30, are uh-huh. just haunting him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love when a franchise turns on an owner, and they're <laughs> like, no, sell the team. And I love how fickle the fans are. I know, because right? Because they were the ones booing at Robinson, <laughs> and now they're like, ugh. Like, DeWitt had a quote that I saw. He had made another big deal, like he had traded away a, a franchise guy, not a Frank Robinson, but like yeah, two yeah. years before, and everyone was like, Other really supportive of the Red of Machine? Uh, I honestly don't even remember the name. I don't think Big Red Machines happened that's yet. It, oh, that's in the 70s. Yeah. It's on its way. Yeah. It's, um, Senior. that's post Robinson. Um, mm-hmm. this is all sad at this point. Yeah. Um, but sad. he was like, yeah, so he's so like, cinematic. I made that deal and everyone thought I was a good guy. And now that I made this one deal and now I'm a chump, I guess. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're on this podcast. <laughs> Fans began to hang effigies of the owner with labels saying Dimwit. (laughs) Yes, got him. Got him. (laughs) That would teach you to have a weird name. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the season, DeWitt would sell the team. It worked! Uh, After he won the World Series, Robinson was asked about DeWitt. He stated, quote, It's not just what I did, but winning. I would have felt good without winning, but not as good. Winning makes it better. Now It's all gone. Next year, I don't have to show Mr. DeWitt what I can do again. As far as I'm concerned, it's all gone. Unquote. Amazing. Robinson would continue to dominate for the Orioles, earning all-star appearances and leading them to three consecutive 100-win seasons and three consecutive World Series appearances from 1969 to 1971. Um, first one, they lost to the Mets. Yeah, the Miracle Mets in yeah. sixty nine. In sixty nine they lost to the Mets. In seventy one they lost to the Pirates. So you're welcome, and 79. buddy. Well, that doesn't matter here. That's not what we're talking <laughs> about. I know in <laughs> nineteen seventy, appropriately enough, the Orioles beat the Cincinnati Reds in beautiful. the World Series behind the strong bat of Frank Robinson. And that's full circle, baby. Full circle. Nice. Beautiful thing. Uh my sources, a uh, lot of little ones, but the majority big ones are Society for American Baseball Research, uh, Baseball Reference, and uh, Red Leg Nation. Oh, still part of the Red Leg Nation myself. Red, Red Leg Nation! <laughs> 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 but yeah, now that we present one of the worst moves in MLB history, we will be presenting our own proposals for those GMs we believe need a little amateur help to make their professional decisions. Josh, kick us off.
2: Alright, my dear GM this week goes out to Washington Nationals GM, Mike Rizzo.
0: Oh, go naps.
2: Mike, my guy, I'm here to talk to you about one man. His name is Onyx Vega.
0: Onyx, I choose you!
2: (laughs) And I personally scouted him for you. (laughs) He's currently playing for your low A affiliate, the uh, Fredericksburg Nationals, but this guy, Onyx, is killing it. He had three RBIs and in three innings yesterday off a solo home run and a double. So it's time to call this man up. Or at least, you know, promote him to a high affiliate, the uh, Wilmington Blue Rocks. Ooh. Ooh, that's a good name. With a name like Onyx, what could go wrong? And hey, Mike, if you're ever looking for a new scout, you know where to find me.
0: That'd be awesome. You should hire him. Yeah. Because that'd be a cool job. Then we could all like go to games and like see things yeah, and have we that ne- inside track. We'd never talk bad about you. No, never once. Mike. <laughs> We're crossing so many fingers right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Hail Mary. Westover, what you got for us?
1: Alright, this week I'm addressing the Los Angeles Angels and their scouting director, Matt Swanson.
0: Oh, this guy. The swan.
1: The Angels made unique history in the MLB draft, using all 20 picks they had across all 20 (coughs) rounds on only pitchers.
0: Hey, pitchers win games.
2: And they play defense, apparently. And they lose games.
1: And they lose games. And they play baseball. Sometimes. 19 out of the 20 were <laughs> collegiate players with only one high school selection in Mason Albright. That's weird. Well, with last year's draft, there were only five rounds, so there, was a, there were a ton of like college players that just stayed an extra year, so there was an influx of extra people to draft this year. That's pretty much their reasoning. Okay,
0: I guess that makes kind of sense.
1: Since 2017, you've drafted 66 pitchers out of 80 total draft selections. Ooh! You were quoted saying that... By the tenth round of the draft, you decided to let it ride <laughs> and uh, continue taking pictures. We're for here. The draft. This we're this here is, now. This is
0: just what we're doing. Pitchers are talent. Are usually multi-talented athletes. They can do anything.
1: Well, he's he was also a former pitcher. He stated he's like I know how difficult it is to find good pitching.
0: Well, I'm, I mean, I guess with that philosophy, you's just like you're bound to hit on one, but it's a little bit like. Taking three quarterbacks in the NFL draft. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But this was definitely the year to focus on one position that is a major concern for the Angels in recent years. And now comes the hard part. Developing any of those players in enough time to try and get Mike Trout to contend.
0: It's there in such a bad position. They have so much time to get Mike Trout to contend. They own him. He's an old 30. (laughs) He's an old 30 now. The Angels ranked
1: 12th in the American League, with an ERA of 4.9, with their starters specifically having an ERA
0: of 5.06. You've got to find answers somewhere yeah. in there. Anywhere, please. Yeah, it's amazing for how much star power the Angels have, how bad they are. Oh, that... They're just flashed. Well, never they hide the with Shohei. Yeah. yeah, they hide behind the strong arm of <laughs> Shohei. Yeah. They made the
1: playoffs in 2014, and that was kind of a fluke. Like they got real hot at the end of the and that year. That was so long ago now. That yeah. was like seven yeah. years and ago. And then
0: before that it was t- How long ago was Angels in the Outfield? <laughs>
1: a long time ago. Too they dumb. need that.
0: They need that. Uh this week I'm addressing San Diego Padres GM AJ Preller. Cool. AJ. The Padres are looking like a darling of destiny. <laughs> Weird things are happening for you. I mean, your reliever hit a grand slam in his first career at bat.
1: Against Scherzer? Yes.
0: Against Scherzer. What is that? Glorious. Now, you might be inclined to disagree with me because you guys are still in the wild card spot, a third in your division. But at 53 wins, you're solidly in wild card because the other two divisions in the NL are garbage. They're that's us congratulations that's us. we're trash they're just stuck behind the giants and dodgers who are yeah, just going are hard which dodgers we knew giants are like it's an odd year so i don't even know yeah i don't happening. know what they're doing they're <laughs> trying too hard on an off year yeah they're going to burst something i mean there's a lot of <laughs> they're gonna hurt themselves out <laughs> there Have Bumgarner anymore there's plenty of season left though uh but all of the competition in your division uh Is going to make it hard for you to really make up some ground. So just because there is a lot of time left doesn't mean you can take any of your games for granted. Your primary concern should be shoring up your offense, uh, specifically at the first base position. Eric Hosmer is 31 and has been increasingly underwhelming at the plate and consistently under the league average. Replace him. <gasps> mm. There are a number of good options out there, but I'm going to pick the flashiest and most expensive one for fun. We love that. Go get Joey Gallo. Yeah! Gallo can play first, third, and outfield and will allow you to put your best offensive lineup together based on how Hosmer and outfielder Will Myers, who are the other position I would say you need to shore up, uh, but he's starting to do a little bit better. Um, depending on how those two are playing, he can go in and out. Um, He's still available from the Rangers, but he'll be more expensive due to his recent offensive explosion. Uh, other options include Chris Bryant from the Cubs and Trey Mancini from the Orioles. Now, Mancini mm. would help this whole Darling of Destiny situation because of his comeback from beating... He I is a was, Darling of Destiny. I think it was colon cancer? Yes. Yeah, he wow. beat colon cancer and he's coming back and he's having a real good season for he the made Orioles. Maybe all-star game. Yeah, but he's... Uh, they've been talking about him maybe moving him really yeah there's been a lot of talk out of that camp there's obviously the cubs, the cubs have been cubs
1: burning it down too
0: yeah the cubs have been talking about moving chris bryant for the past like 3 seasons pretty <laughs> much every season since they won the world series they've been like chris bryant might be gone uh, we did it time to burn it down here's the thing is i don't i don't think you should get chris bryant i think he still has something left in the tank but that's too high risk low yeah. reward for me yeah uh, i think joey gallo is a great way to go
1: because um, he looks like he's kind of gotten his swing under c- control because, like, two years ago, that man was either going to strike out or hit a bomb.
0: Yeah. Also, I think Tran- I think Trey Mancini is probably the safest play, but it's not flashy, and it might not make enough of an impact. It's a long-term play, though. Yeah,
1: that's definitely a longer-term play.
0: So, I mean, make your call. Mancini would be pretty good. Just go for it. Just go for it. And that's the pod. If you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please remember to give us a like or a follow. Maybe even leave a review. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. In the words of mismanaged co-host Nathaniel Westover, quote, it's only foul if it's fair. Wait. Unquote. Uh, overheard at a minor league baseball game. I was distracted? by. Distracted enough to not. While well, I was know. just talking. Yeah, he does that. He does that on this podcast too. Yeah. <laughs> How embarrassing for you. Good life. Yeah, nerd. I love you. Love you. Peace. All right. Thanks for listening. Remember, this was mismanaged.
2: Bye.